You're now tuned into Unpunctuated with Precious, where we have lifestyle conversations and guidance based on my own experiences and those shared by others. Thanks for rocking with me again for another episode of Unpunctuated with Precious. I hope you're all doing well, navigating the cray world we're living in and killing it in your corner of the world. So I want to start off this episode, which is us starts with you, like the play on words there, um, with a quote by Deborah Day. And this quote is, Make a pledge to yourself right now to declare that you are worth your time and energy. Remember this quote because that's the energy I want you to bring and keep with you throughout this whole episode. So I'll start with the familiar adage, to be completely ready and open and worthy of a successful relationship. You must work on yourself first. Everybody knows that. And You know, many people think this goes without saying, but if I had a penny for every person I came across who embarked on a relationship, incomplete within themselves, hoping their other half or the one would complete them, that's just sad I have a lot of pennies. (laughs) There are also people who clearly need to work on themselves, yet they enter relationships and attempt to overhaul and change the other person. We have all either done this or have been in on the receiving end. And it's because we are often unable to objectively examine ourselves or our actions and are therefore unable to understand the correlation with the results. And self-bias is the enemy of progress and change. I want to say that introspection is grossly neglected, yet studies have shown that if you are true to yourself, this positively impacts your relationships. Like, this isn't rocket science. The more able you are to look at yourself objectively, act in alignment with your beliefs and values, and essentially keep it real, the likelier it is that you'll be able to identify and embark on better relationships with the right type of people. Self-reflection is everything and it's essential. Reflect on, you know, what makes you happy, sad, anxious, angry, elated, aroused. (laughs) Whatever it may be, pay attention and reflect. How things make you feel is information. In the same way, you know, pain in the body is information. You want to delve deeper. I remember watching the 2011 movie 50-50, which starred Joseph Gordon-Levitt, where his character Adam experiences harsh pains in his back as he's running, he's jogging, and is later diagnosed with schwannoma neurofibrosarcoma, I think I'm saying that right, which is a malignant tumor in the spine, and it's pretty grim stuff. He had a 50-50 chance of survival, hence the movie title. If he didn't have that back pain, the pain in his back, he may not have caught the cancer early enough to even have those odds of survival. So 
So I say this because everything that you feel is important. And I'm by no means saying you must place everything under a microscope, but pay attention. In my experience, reflection serves many purposes, including understanding our feelings, questioning our beliefs, thinking about the future, or trying to gain an understanding of negative results or habits. It's easy to, you know, roll your eyes and assume that you know that a relationship starts with how you feel about yourself. The reality is, though, to some degree, we're all aware of this, but it's harder to live by in practice. I find that successful relationships and a happy life are byproducts of being at one with yourself. People may argue with that, but that's been my experience. So it begs the question, who are you? That's a real question. Like, who are you? We would be floored by the amount of people who don't actually know who they are. If they get asked that question, they can't articulate it. You know, the long and short of it for me is you're the sum of the values you hold and all of that, you know, deep introspective stuff. But to stay true to yourself, you must at the very least gain an understanding of who you are. The journey itself begins with developing your own sense of self, independent of what people say you are, what you assume you're supposed to be, and what you want to be. In order to truly understand what it is that you want and be in any position to work towards gaining it, it's important to first understand yourself and your motivations, to ascertain the connections between your experiences and how they've contributed to your development as a woman. And I'll be candid. This is no easy feat and begins with being honest about who you currently are, whether you like that person. I mean, do you like yourself, sis? (laughs) And where you realistically think you can and want to improve. When you genuinely know, love and appreciate who you are, you'll find that any desire to imitate anyone else dissipates, comparison no longer steals your joy, And you'll have a heightened sense of awareness and commitment to only indulge in things that are good for you. So I'm going to be a little bit interactive now and ask you to do an activity for me. And you can pause this, write it in your book, come back to it. But it's an activity that I would love for you to indulge me um, in. And so the activity requires you to list your top 10 best qualities like just write down 10 of your best qualities what you think are your best qualities are you generous emotionally intelligent witty tenacious persistent whatever you feel are your top 10 qualities which make you fly and awesome in your own opinion list them down 10 either on your phone on a notebook whatever whatever you want to do the next thing I want you to do is Ask a few of your nearest and dearest what they feel your top 10 qualities are. And I'm going to tell you, don't coach them. Allow them to list what they truly believe are your best 10 qualities. And the reason why I say this is I'm sure when you compare lists, there'll be similarities, but none will be identical. And this is because we all see the world from our own unique perspective and place varying importance on qualities we perceive and appreciate and value. You may learn something new about yourself and how you're perceived, but only you truly know what makes you, you. Look, it seems elementary, but 
Lack of self-knowledge is a major reason why so many people are unable to find peace in many aspects of their lives. All relationships start and end with how well we understand ourselves. An intimate understanding of yourself enables you to have positive relationships with others. That's from my experience. I will co-sign that, put a rubber stamp on it. And lack of self-knowledge is the root of most superficial and shallow unions, situationships, entanglements, whatever you want to call it. They aren't relationships and they're not committed. So I say, you know, it's important to discover who you are to forge successful relationships. You know, think about what lights your fire, what grinds your gears. Do you have a set of values you stand by? You know, this self-discovery helps you hone in on what you want from a partner and provides clarity on what we can realistically offer someone else. You know, we've got to be real. And don't be disheartened if to date you've not made deliberate and conscious choices in the types of relationships that you've had. You are only human and you've got to be kind to yourself. Taking the right steps towards discovering yourself will place you on the right path to be living in alignment with your true self and then thus be in a better position to forge relationships that are positive and fulfilling. Which leads me to my next piece. Something that we all have to do is unpack our baggage. So next call to action is unpack your baggage. Life leaves us impacted. We have failures and accomplishments, joys and fears, and it's a unique cocktail of happenings which leave an imprint on all of us. Our childhood, especially black cultural childhoods and upbringing, are often the blueprint for how we embark on life and view the world around us. You know, there's no manual given to parents on how to raise children, although to be fair, in black communities, it feels like they put all the parents in one room and co- and there's a code of conduct that they're trained to execute on. <laughs> but, you know, most black parents are navigating society's impositions and aggressions and do their utmost to equip their children with the requisite tools to forge through on their own path into adulthood. But what happens if their own upbringing wasn't well put together? Abuse and tumultuous imbalance can very easily become the gift that keeps on giving. And I think when people are brought up in a certain way and they turn out okay, they're like, you know what? Well, it's a tried and tested strategy. If it's not broke, don't fix it. There's always room for improvement. Growing up, the relationships around us are our reference points. I always saw my mom doing it alone, being the head of the household, thinking and doing for everyone and putting herself last. And you know what? I quickly adopted the same standpoint, doing for everyone, leaving my needs on the back burner and ultimately not living my truth because I felt it was an inconvenience to others, which isn't healthy. So I spoke to someone and I've changed some of the names for the people that shared their stories with me just to maintain their privacy. But they have all given me permission to share So I heard from Sade and Sade said to me, my mom and dad always said, find someone who loves you more than you love them. This was a running theme with their advice on love. If I ever felt the same way about someone as they did me, or I had an intense love from my perspective for them, I steered clear or was highly insecure. For me, 
love was mathematical. Loving someone intensely was a recipe for disaster. From my home training, they believe that I deserve someone who loves me, whose love for me, sorry, far exceeded mine for them. It's nice in theory, but they inadvertently taught me to settle. Thank you so much for sharing Sade. And this is a common, common piece of advice that many people get from their parents. You know, and we're often provided with advice with little to no context when we're younger. Do as I say, not as I do. And we are meant to trust that it's the right advice. I'll be honest, it normally is, but sometimes it just isn't. Not touching the stove while it's hot, I get that. Looking both ways when crossing the street, equally obvious and valid. But how many of you were shamed or scaremongered about intimacy or your bodies, or worse still, raised to completely ignore the reality of relationships and sexual encounters? You were told to steer clear from boys and then fast forward several years, questioned about why you weren't in a relationship or married. It's very confusing. And not everyone has the privilege of their guardians or parents knowing how or what to say to strike that delicate balance of educating while sheltering age appropriately. It's not easy and I do not address this to make anyone's parents or guardians a villain or to make you the victim. It's to help you understand that we all carry baggage that may not truly be our own. So start to sense check some of what you believe and think around interactions and relationships and that reciprocity. But also relationships are the common, well, the most common culprit for baggage accumulation, especially if no post-relationship debrief is conducted. And what do I mean by a post-relationship debrief? When you break up with someone or relationship ends, I always think that it's important to practice the pause, pause. Press the pause button and examine yourself, your outcome, examine how impacted you are by it, your contribution, their contributions, and really kind of unpack that and separate mentally and emotionally after that relationship. But we don't do that. Sometimes there's already a relationship pending before the other one ends for some people. Some people have backups, but we'll talk about that later. Another story I want to share with you is a client of mine was discussing a recent breakup. Bear in mind, I'm not a therapist or a counsellor. I work with people to find solutions. Simple. You can call me a coach. Um, I like solution strategists, but she was giving me a brief synopsis of events surrounding a breakup. I asked her about the cause of the breakup. She explained that it was his infidelity. He was the bad guy. Yes, he had been disloyal and broke her trust. Client one, cheating philanderer zero. You know, as we discussed the matter in more detail, I felt compelled to ask the reason behind the breakup again. And the look she gave me was one of confusion and irritation. And I'm sure she felt that I wasn't listening. And you might think I wasn't listening either. She said he cheated, right? That's it. Done. Dusted. However, you know, as we delved more deeply into the matter, the cheating wasn't the cause of the breakup. From what she was telling me, they'd long checked out and were merely cohabiting together and putting on a display for the rest of the world. They were communicating at the lowest acceptable levels. Their intimacy was non-existent long before he physically and she, I later found out, emotionally cheated. I listened to what she felt she needed to do to never have a man do her like that again. 
And I think she needed to get it off her chest. She was hurt. She needed to get all of that rawness and bile out of her system. And I listened intently and asked uh, what, what now seems like a loaded question, but didn't at the time to me. So I said this, do you feel you contributed to the ultimate breakdown of the relationship? She was horrified, horrified, horrified. I was supposed to be on her side. Why was I attacking her? You know, our meeting was cut short. She was very curt with me. And look, we hadn't even originally been setting out to talk about her relationship. We were talking about rebranding her for a career change. She wanted a career transition and that was what it was about. And she had taken the meeting to this topic um, and I could tell that she was laden with anger and disappointment, and rightly so. She crossed my mind a few times, and then there it was, the email. The email which reignited our professional relationship and served as her apology. Though, to be honest, I didn't even feel like she needed to apologise to me. She was upset. It was what it was. And she also gave her permission to share So I'll read the email word for word for you guys. So bear with me. So the email reads as follows. Hi, Precious. I really wanted to reach out to you because I feel like I was unfair in our last meeting. You always reiterate that you only work with the willing. I'm willing now, but I wasn't back then. I'm so sorry I reacted the way I did and I owe you a latte and an update. I was so desperate to overhaul my life and make these dramatic changes without a sense of direction. I wanted a new job, not because I was unhappy doing my current job, but just because I wanted to change, any change, because my relationship was going down the pan and I was too ill-equipped to address it or walk away. I just got out of a short-term relationship and I was dumped for the first time in my entire life. It was surreal but necessary. And you know what? I ended up calling my cheating ex. I thought we'd have a meaningless hookup and be on our miserable ways. But instead of inviting me to his house, he took me out for a walk in the park. I thought maybe he had another woman in the apartment. I was ever so cynical. So I just went along with it. Turns out he didn't trust himself around me and he wanted to really talk and be real with me. During our time together, we tore shreds out of each other. That night we apportioned blame and learned more about one another than we had in our entire relationship. I had long been emotionally cheating on him with my backup boyfriend. Side note guys, backup boyfriends I like to call bubs. A lot of chicks have them. Let's not go there this episode. (laughs) Um, Back to the email. She said, I can now admit that I was cheating too, in a sense. I stood on this high horse for so long, but let's be real, I did some messed up stuff too. I flirted with my backup boyfriend, sent him nudes, messed up non-loyal, disrespectful-ish. So we admitted our communication was poor and we should have done better by one another. The damage is done and there's no reconciliation on the cards for our romantic relationship, but the air is clear. So in answer to your question, Yes. Yes, I contributed to the breakdown of the relationship and I can now own that. You want to know why the newest babe broke up with me? He said I had too much baggage. 
He point blank said that to me. So here's the thing, I met him on Tinder and although we spent an insane amount of time together, I was convinced since we hadn't had the talk, he was still swiping right and sleeping with every cutie with a booty within a 10 mile radius. I made jokes about it, digs, sarcasm. He saw them as digs, jibes. I was not convinced by his nice guy. I want to see if this can be something real act. But let's be honest, whether he was sleeping around, I was going to think he was until I got closure from my experience with ex numero uno. He cheated right under my nose. And so had I. Trust was a problem for me. I thought I was better than ex number one and lorded over him like he was my disappointment. I refuse to blame myself for him choosing to cheat, but I know what I contributed. And I know I made him feel inadequate and lonely in our relationship. My newest relationship fell because the new bay needed to protect himself from drama. He was ready to settle down with the right one, but me, I still have work to do. Looking forward to connecting soon, Karina. Karina, thank you so much for sharing or allowing me to share your email and sharing that with me and coming back to me on that. And this is a true example that there are people who define themselves through what they've been through. And it's important to understand that what you have been through isn't who you are. Yeah, our experience shape our thoughts, beliefs, fears, opinions, and color our choices. And they cannot be ignored or denied. But if we focus enough, they're always teaching us something. So stay with me for a few moments more on the issue of unpacking our baggage. And in working through this, I'm not going to go into too much detail around this, but it is going to be emotionally triggering and it's going to bring up a lot of things for you. And there may be really strong feelings that are associated with the baggage that you currently hold. This can be rage, guilt, fear, grief, anger, or a combination of so many other feelings at once. It's really unique to you. And I'm going to be honest, they're not logical in your new space, in your new life. And a lot of the time, they're feelings that you didn't allow yourself to feel at the time. And they are base. I want you to remember a few things. The feelings that you feel are valid and justified and they are in you and they are there to tell you something real for you to learn from. And they'll pass in time, but you'll also need to actively want to work through them and discard them. And I promise you, if you do that work of trying to unpack your baggage, examine it, whether it be through therapy, self-help, meditation, research, you'll come out the other side with so much more peace and strength and happiness and joy. And that's on period. Something else I want to touch on and I'd be remiss if I didn't, was living your truth. You have to live your truth. Many of us are overly concerned with the opinions of others. We're so heavily burdened by this that we often conceal aspects of our true selves to ensure people respond to us positively. Everyone seems to want to be liked and there's nothing wrong with that. And we essentially perform in order to curate interactions which make us feel adequate, which is counterintuitive because it's actually, those are false interactions. We want to be liked. Heck, we want people to love us. 
Our desire for approval and aversion to disapproval often leads us to mask our truth and authenticity. And we've all done this to differing degrees. Living authentically is initially uncomfortable if you aren't used to it. But once you make it a way of life, it's the epitome of freedom. <laughs> Believe you me, it's the epitome of freedom. You are free. It is get home from a long day of work, pull your bra strap through your sleeve freedom. Authenticity can be hard as it requires you to share your inner self and be unapologetically you despite the consequences. And I say this within reason. Your authentic self dif differs depending on your environment. You have to tailor it. It doesn't make it any less authentic, but read the room, you know? When we embark on new friendships and relationships, we tend to skew our authenticity. It's a natural thing in that courting stage. We want to present an image. We want specific results and reactions. So we create, you know, we create this image and this perception of ourselves. Look, I'm gonna be really open. When I didn't live my truth, I missed opportunities to have meaningful connections and gain a better understanding of myself and how the other person and I could or could not truly fit. A relationship between two individuals who are unable to be authentic breeds an inauthentic union. And personal baggage and challenges faced individually are manifested in the challenges faced in the relationship. Committing to living your truth, thus strengthening your own personal development, puts you on the right path to start dispelling those feelings or, you know, feelings of fear and anxiety attached to our need for external acceptance. And we begin honoring ourselves and our uniqueness in a new way. I'm going to just put it out there. I'm going to start reeling off some benefits I feel there are for living your truth. So joy. Joy is number one. Who doesn't want joy? Who doesn't love black joy? It's so beautiful. It's amazing. It's magical. You know, a great deal of happiness can stem from expressing yourself authentically. There is gr a, there's a greater chance of getting what you want when you are honest and clear about your desires and your intentions. A closed mouth don't get fed. Another one for me is peace of mind. You can finally divorce torturous inner conflict when there is synergy between your actions, feelings, and values, this will inevitably reduce your inner conflict. And many of us are burdened with inner conflict. Um, another one would be, you know, living your truth means better choices. Knowledge of self leads to better decision-making in all aspects of life. Self-knowledge forms the sound blueprint you can apply to any obstacle or decision you're faced with. A key one for me, which I'm currently still working on, I'm not gonna lie, is self-discipline. So and what I mean by this is knowing and understanding yourself and your motivations aids in the resistance of unproductive habits. This sort of insight helps us focus more deliberately on our values and goals, and we can spot actions which are not aligned with them to create more productive habits. Habits are everything. Habits are the key to success in a lot of spaces. Another one which is a huge, huge part of my life is empathy. Understanding yourself and motivations puts you in a better position to truly empathize effectively with yourself and others. We become less likely to judge and react adversely when we can see things from a position of understanding. And I always talk about the, the modes of living, you know, you've got survival mode, existence and living. And the living mode the living mode is where you want to be. Being true to yourself 
throws you forward into the coveted living mode. You become present for your experiences and can see all the amazing things you encounter more clearly. And one of the key things that I always tell people is, people say to me, oh, why are you so confident? You're so this, you're so that. And I'm like, I don't walk around feeling confident in everything that's going on, but I'm confident in myself because I've made peace with myself. So we need to make peace with ourselves. You know, we've all made mistakes and choices that have not served us. Some may be public knowledge, some you plan on taking to the grave. I could fill an entire book with some of the questionable, you know, questionable decisions I've made. None have been incredibly life altering or detrimental to be fair, but it cost me a great deal of that invaluable commodity called time and mental real estate and ruminations. I'm the sort of person that will ruminate over something that happened on the 4th of September, 1994 for hours and get weird anxiety and stress. My chest will be tight, I'll feel nauseous and I will waste a great deal of time and steal joy, joy from myself. These experiences, though, ultimately educational, slowed me down. I expended valuable energy and took the long way around. Irrespective of the details of your mishaps, you should take some time and examine them. Examine yourself. Forgive yourself and pledge to make a change and move on. I know I made it sound super, super simple, but you've just got to decide. <laughs> And then the, then the work begins. I understand it's far too easy for me to say, hey, just accept yourself and your so-called shortcomings and decide to only make positive steps and choices towards being a better, happier person. I personally know it's not that simple. Nothing worth doing or having usually is though, right? It's gonna take time and commitment and maybe external support. It may be hard, but it's not impossible. No matter what choices you've made in life, irrespective of what judgments you've may, you may have faced, it's time to act and move forward. And I'm right here with you. My love life used to play out like a broken record. I kid you not. It wouldn't make sense to most people who know me now and know the position I'm in. Um, they know me as a sensible person who makes sound choices now. The perception is that I'm infallible, but this could not have been further from the truth at a time in my life. I wasn't always aware of my worth and often gave discounts. I would surrender love and affection to the undeserving, not knowing I was diminishing parts of myself by not learning from these choices that always end up, ended up in the same way. Everything ended up the same. Experience after experience, my emotions would run high and there were always common denominators, me and the unhappy feeling I was left with. Hand on heart, one day I asked myself, Precious, would you date you? Because it's easy for us to think that we're a catch and all of these different things. But I asked myself that real question and there was lots of introspection and it was a lot to unpack, but I did it. So I'm gonna ask you guys the same question. Would you date yourself, flaws and all? This is such an important question and it's paramount in understanding what it is that you may be attracting in potential partners and why. Have you ever heard of the saying, water seeks its own level? If not, this is essentially a metaphor and represents how people seek or attract those like themselves in many ways, whether it be character, temperament, etc. Whether we realize it or not, it's a thing. A lot of people 
have an extensive list of things they want from a partner. And these are often wonderful and exciting, attractive qualities. What they fail to do sometimes is examine themselves and ask why such a wonderful, riveting, incredible person should date them. Because let's be real, it's a two-way street. Relationships are a matter of choice. So in a world where choice is abundant and people are so accustomed to having options, we need to be able to align ourselves with those who share our values and are committed to bringing 100% both ways for the betterment and development of the relationship. This is whether it be romantic, friendship, professional, you know, the hookup culture that has been adopted as strict courting and relationship building of its preciousness and value. No pun intended. People are dispensable and not worth working for. Online dating and the YOLO dispositions adopted by so many people have led us to believe that if it doesn't go our way, on to the next one. It's as easy as swipe left or the hit of a black button and poof, the person ceases to exist. People are no longer investing in their relationships or friendships and wonder why they're so fallible. I'm going to get super cheesy on you guys and say that a farmer knows that if they plant a seed, it will take some time for them to reap the benefits of the crop. They water it and tend to it to ensure that it's given the best chance to flourish. It doesn't always flourish first time around. Sometimes they get failed crops, but they know it takes time and work. I'm going to share what Nia sent me. So Nia sent me this. I consider myself a catch, but I can be a handful. My ex thought it was adorable. He seemed to find my troublesome nature endearing, as did my ex before and the ex before that. They liked that I was short, feisty and passionate and just difficult for no good reason. I got away with murder with most guys. I could be an a-hole and they found it sexy. I could be jealous and disrespectful and they assumed it was because I had passion and love for them. I didn't realize how unhealthy this was until I met Michael. Michael was everything I knew made a good man. Emotionally available, handsome, had his life together and came with zero noticeable baggage. Every single one of his relationships had ended annoyingly amicably and maturely. He was emotionally balanced and was interested in me. I made the ill-advised decision to continue behaving like a spoilt brat because I'd gotten used to it. And no one ever checked me. I even thought it was my cute quirk. But Michael, on the other hand, was instantly turned off. He wasn't damaged like I was. He hadn't had his heart broken. He didn't walk around like he was God's gift to whoever gave him the time of day. And he was not here for any of my ball. By the time I mustered up the courage to let down the facade and stop the games, he was long gone. Ugh. Thank you so much for sharing, Nia. That's a tough one. That's a tough one, especially if we are so accustomed to be in a certain way and we think that that's our personality and that's our quirk. It isn't easy. And we all want relationships that feel good and we want to get the most out of them. But how many of us truly examine ourselves and our relationships when they end? Do we take time to analyze our actions and those of the other party? Not everyone knows how to go about this or even sees the merits. I say this again, in conducting this post-relationship analysis, 
we would be more knowledgeable about what it is that we could do better next time and hopefully take responsibility for why it didn't end well. Because nothing is ever just one person's fault. Even if it's just you enduring something for longer than you should, there is responsibility to go around. The blame game isn't viable in relationships. Bar being held prisoner, we all make a choice. So I ask you again, would you date you? <laughs> it's just, it, it sounds like a very strange question, but it's real, you know? I'm gonna quote Beyonce. Remember that song, Me, Myself and I? I'll give you a little bit more context. So I made the mistake of underestimating the merits of being alone early on in my dating experiences, especially after a relationship or situationship ended. That terrible saying, the quickest way over someone is to get under someone is the worst. And that's not what I did. I'm not saying that's what I did. I'm just saying that that's the term, that's the phrase. Furthermore, it usually leads to another ill-advised situationship with even more baggage to contend with. I cannot stress how important it is to unpack our baggage whenever we start to hoard and before it clutters up our emotional space. Because many of us fear being alone, not short term necessarily, but ultimately. And some of us even fear being alone with our own thoughts because that's when it gets royally real. But learning how to be alone is an invaluable capability. Not lonely, alone. If you never invest time in self-reflection, how can you realistically know who you are? Every experience imprints on us. And emotions we have can often get buried under the surface. They hide away, they burrow away, they're little critters. Alone time enables them to rise to the surface. You can experience true moments of clarity and develop an okayness with things getting real when you reflect. Relationships today come in all shapes and forms. The shitty subversions come in the form of flirtationships, situationships, textationships, <laughs> entanglements, and infatuationships. If your intention is to simply play the field, by all means, do you, boo? However, if you want to forge strong relationships, you need to take time and be by yourself first after each relationship. Take stock, take notes, dissect, and make a pledge to do better and be better. Every day, every encounter, every experience is a lesson. We must live our lives wide open with a sense of awareness because merely existing often doesn't bring fruitful results. We learn very little and then we don't develop. We end up in the same type of relationships. We don't upgrade ourselves. We don't upgrade our lives. We don't add value. Value isn't added to our lives. So moving away from focusing solely on the negatives and what isn't currently right in your life the bad choices you've made, and shining a light on what is good is a wonderful place to start. But before we get there, let's try this. In closing for this episode, I want you to humor me with one more activity. So on a piece of paper, not to your phone, please. You'll see why shortly. I want you to write down the things that haunt you. Anything can, that you consistently beat yourself up about, any embarrassing encounters or terrible things you've done, heard or feel about yourself that seem to be embedded in your psyche. Take your time, write it all down, get it all out. 
and read them in turn, one by one. I know that's torture, but just stay with me. After that, I'd like you to tear that piece of paper up. Imagine that tearing it up means it's done, buried. It cannot be revisited ever again. It's dead to you. It's in the ether. That piece of paper or pieces of paper, if it's really real in the field with things that you wrote down, is now dead to you. Take the pieces and throw it in the trash and take a picture of it. Again, I really appreciate you humoring me. I know it's not that simple, but symbolism helps when we're trying to go on a journey. That piece of paper represents what once was, but now we must move on. Whenever you find yourself revisiting anything on that piece of paper or pieces of paper, remind yourself, I threw that mess away and you have a picture to prove it. So I'll leave you with this. It's so easy to wear our wounds like badges of honor and to cling to the very things which make us unhappy or stagnant. But we aren't in the business of stagnation around these parts. You hear? Thank you so much for listening. And I really hope you join me for the next episode. Thank you.